0: Our scripture reading for today comes to us in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, beginning with verse 39. Let us listen now for God's word to us today. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, "See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon." After they have flogged him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But they understood nothing about all these things. In fact, what he said was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, praised God. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going past that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who was a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, after my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Okay.
1: Gracious God, help us to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. When we encounter Jesus and his followers in the scripture today, they are on a road, on a path, leading toward a destination. One of the things that is striking about this passage is actually how often Jesus interrupts the forward movement of the story. And every time Jesus stops the forward movement, It is to take time to be in relationship with others. Our scripture passage begins by saying that Jesus took the disciples aside to talk to them, to tell them more about himself and what lies ahead for him. Then we have the parallels of Jesus stopping on the way into Jericho as he encounters the blind man who is calling to him from the side of the road and then stopping again as he passes through the city and encounters the rich man up in the tree. These asides, these interruptions along the road catch our attention, and when we explore them, I think we find out more about Jesus. Not just his ministry, not just his divinity, but in his interactions, we discover more about the humanity of Jesus. And this is appropriate now, as we move down the path of our own journey through Lent, because we are challenged to hold together the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Just as in the weeks to come, we are challenged to hold together the devastating horror of the cross with the pure joy of the resurrection. So in order to explore more about what is happening in this text before us today, let's begin by exploring the parallel encounters that Jesus has on his way into Jericho and on his
0: way through.
1: On his way into Jericho, Jesus' attention is caught by the blind beggar sitting in the street calling to him from below. This man is on the margins. If he's not despised, he's at least devalued. The crowd disapproves of this man calling attention to himself, stopping the forward motion. They admonish him, they tell him to be quiet. But Jesus hears the man, and Jesus stops. He calls this man to himself. He engages him. And then he proclaims that his faith has saved him. In his encounter with Jesus, the blind man has been transformed in ways that offer him options for relationship that he did not have before. And then, on the way through Jericho, Jesus' attention was caught by a wealthy man up in a tree of all places. This time Jesus' attention is drawn up to the rich man rather than down to the beggar in the street. But that wealthy publican Zacchaeus is also on the margins of Jewish society. The crowd didn't like him either. He was part of a class of people considered sinners. But again, Jesus stops. Again, Jesus calls this man to himself. He engages him. And then he tells him he'll be having dinner at his house tonight. He listens to Zacchaeus. And then Jesus proclaims that salvation has come to Zacchaeus's house and that he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus has, in a sense, reclassified Zacchaeus. He has reframed his identity by locating him in a different category. While the people grumbled about Zacchaeus being a sinner, Jesus proclaims he is a son of Abraham. Do you notice that the crowd was cranky every time Jesus stopped along the way? They muttered, There goes Jesus, again. (laughs) Dining with tax collectors and sinners. And as I considered this, this passage this week, I got an image in my mind. And I thought, you know, it seems like this crowd might want to put blinders on Jesus, the kind you see people put on horses that have a job to do. They seem to want Jesus to stay focused and keep moving forward. And Jesus is doing anything but. He's looking down to talk to the beggar in the street. He's looking up to the man in the tree. He's always looking toward the margins. He seems to have very little interest in staying the course, in catering to the expectations of the disciples in the crowd, or of maintaining the status quo. And we know that Jesus came to seek the lost, We know that the crowds did not understand him, that the disciples often did not understand him, that the people who followed him had certain messianic expectations and hopes that blinded them to the Messiah who was walking with them. We know that Jesus consistently reached out to people on the margins in his inclusive, compassionate love. But today, As we're exploring the parallels in this text, I want to focus on the humanity of Jesus, and I want to do this by noticing who reaches back to Jesus. Where does Jesus find relationship and community? Jesus knew the pain of isolation, and he worked throughout his life to build relationships and connections, to see people, to listen to people, to let them know they were seen and heard, that they mattered, that they were valued. But what happens at the beginning of this passage when he tells his own disciples about the pain, the torture, the betrayal, the death that he is about to face? What is about to happen to him in this place that they are all walking toward together? Nothing, nothing. This should be really striking to us. They don't hear him, acknowledge him, see him, nothing. We are accustomed to hearing the story of Jesus last week with his disciples, and we know how they deny him and betray him, fall asleep in the garden when he asks them to stay awake with him. We know that they lead Jesus to descend into the depths of isolation and pain by himself as he moves toward the cross. But what I think we don't often consider is how that isolation was present before that last week in Jerusalem. We see it in this passage today. It is isolating to tell people who you are, your pain, what you're dealing with, and then have them act as if it's not real or if it's not true. Isn't that exactly what Jesus encountered with his followers on this road to Jerusalem? The crowd also demonstrates that they are disconnected from who Jesus is, what he has come to do. But the disciples in the crowd were not the only ones there, there were the outliers. There was the man calling to Jesus from the ground, and the one who climbed the tree just to see him pass by. And Jesus always seems drawn to those outliers, doesn't he? There are parallels between the experience of these men on the margins and Jesus' own experience. Let's consider the blind man. When Jesus encounters him, he's calling out to Jesus. He's suffering in pain. His blindness isolates him in very real ways, but he refused to let that be the end of the story. When he called out, when he asked to be noticed, he was told to be quiet. He used his voice in an attempt to move his struggle out of the place where he was alone with it. The crowds were grumpy. They tried to silence his talk about his pain and his struggle. I don't think it's coincidental that this comes just after Jesus talked with his disciples. I don't think we're supposed to miss the parallel here. In effect, isn't the experience of the blind man similar to what Jesus has just encountered with his own disciples? When Jesus told them what awaited him, his pain, his struggle. When he was hoping maybe for some compassion or empathy. The disciples told him they didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want to hear his fears, his struggle, his pain. We know we don't have to use words to silence people. We can simply ignore their struggle. That is silencing. And then there's Zacchaeus. And this is interesting. Usually the way we hear this passage is that Zacchaeus suddenly changes his ways after Jesus comes to his house for dinner. But there's another way to hear and interpret this passage because of the ambiguity of the Greek verb, apodytomy the verb that is translated in English as giving or restoring. It can be translated either as the future tense or as the present tense. And different translations lead to different theological conclusions. We are accustomed to reading this as the future tense. Zacchaeus promises new behavior and is tr- transformed through an encounter with the embodied grace of God in Jesus. This translation keeps us on the familiar ground of repentance and newness of life. But if this verb is translated in the present tense, and Zacchaeus is simply telling Jesus about how he is currently living his life, giving half of what he has to the poor, and repaying anyone that he has inadvertently defrauded fourfold. This puts us on trickier theological ground when we consider what Jesus means when he says salvation has come to Zacchaeus's house, and that he is to be considered a son of Abraham. The crowd considers Zacchaeus a sinner. They grumble about him. But this is not because they know anything about him beyond he's a wealthy person and his occupation. They only know that he belongs to a class of people. He's a wealthy tax collector in the employ of a foreign government. Zacchaeus is called a sinner by the crowds because of the assumptions that they make about him based on the group that he is a part of. In his commentary on this passage, Cameron Rickinson writes this, If Jesus hears Zacchaeus' testimony as a statement of how he is currently living his life, giving half of what he has to the poor, and restoring any inadvertently defrauded fourfold, then Jesus' claim that salvation has come to this household becomes a statement that human and communal wholeness is evident in its practices. Whether he has the proper DNA or not, this Zacchaeus is to be regarded as a true son of Abraham, participating in the blessings of Abraham, even as he himself has been a blessing to the poor. If we are going to truly consider the humanity of Jesus, we need to notice where he finds community. Where is he seen? Where is he heard? Where is he loved? What if the outliers, the blind man and Zacchaeus, are Jesus' community? They are the ones who see him, who hear him, who believe him. They actively seek him out for who he is, not who they want him to be. They share with him their lives and struggles. They are the ones that he stops for and engages. What if we let go of needing to interpret Jesus' actions in this passage as solely altruistic and begin to see them as part of the mutuality we find when we are in right relationship with one another? When we consider the humanity of Jesus and the pain of isolation that he must have felt and learned to live with long before his last time in Jerusalem, we can hear that in a very real way he does find resonance and community with those people that the group does not understand, that they want to silence, judge, and condemn without knowing. And if we are to engage the full humanity of Jesus, we must let ourselves engage the isolation that Jesus experienced. And we need to let it break our hearts. If we ignore this, or move past it, or push it aside because we'd rather just focus on the divinity of Jesus, aren't we just doing the same things his disciples did? And if we, as Christians, will ignore the humanity of Jesus, we will also ignore the humanity of one another. When we reflect on Jesus' words, what you do to the least of these, who are a member of my family, you do to me, what if we hear these words as coming from someone who knows the pain of not being seen, not being heard, not being believed? When we actively or passively increase the suffering of others through isolation. We are doing to one another what caused our Lord and Savior pain and suffering. No one had to say it to Jesus, stop talking about your pain. All they had to do was ignore it. And so today, we ask ourselves, who are we isolating? Who are the people that we don't want to see? that we just wish would be quiet, or keep their pain out of our view so that we're not forced to engage it? When do we look away, avert our eyes, or change the subject? One way to answer this question is to think about the kind of pain and suffering that we tend to stigmatize. I would offer that people struggling with mental illness know this pain of isolation. There's so many people who struggle with depression or anxiety, post-traumatic stress, postpartum depression, psychosis, and more. And the stigma of struggling with mental illness creates pain through isolation in individuals, in families, and in societies. People living with addiction know the pain of isolation, of being told to hide their pain their struggle of stigmatization. There are more. Jesus knows this pain. And we can ask ourselves, who are the classes of people that we treat as though we don't need to know them individually to know who they are and what they are about? One way to think about this question is to consider which groups have hate crimes perpetrated against them in this country. African Americans, Muslims, our transgendered brothers and sisters, there are more. Jesus knows this pain. We see on the road through Jericho that Jesus does not turn away from the pain and try to focus somewhere else. Instead, he moves the person in pain out of the position of isolation and welcomes them into a relationship in which they are known. And loved. As we come in a couple of minutes to the Lord's table, and as we come in a couple of weeks to the events of Holy Week, let us reflect on the places in our own lives where God is inviting us to decrease isolation, to know one another, to hear one another, and to love one another fully without asking another not to bring their full selves into relationship. Before we take communion this morning, let us recognize the miracle of God's love for us by noticing that God does not ask us to keep any part of ourselves out of our relationship. Then in celebration of God's all-encompassing love, let us come to the Lord's table and strive to love one another as God has loved us. Amen.